This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. The following on podcast is proudly sponsored by Barbados Tourism. Before we kick off the show, I just wanted to take a moment to remind you that the ICC Men's Cricket T20 World Cup Final is taking place in Barbados this summer. This, by default, gives all of my fellow cricket fanatics the perfect excuse to go and book a holiday to Barbados in June and experience First-hand, the euphoric atmosphere at the Kensington Oval, the cricket mecca of the Caribbean. If the cricket alone isn't enough to tempt you, then let me be the one to remind you that a trip to Barbados can also include leisurely strolls along the breathtaking coastline, mouth-watering flavours of the world-class Bayesian cuisine, and, of course, plenty of rum. Head to visitbarbados.org forward slash cricket today to book the trip of a lifetime to Barbados the best place to be a cricket fan. Hello and welcome to a following on special podcast from Talk Sport. It's been a day off for the players between ODIs here in the West Indies. And after the rum fest that we saw at the Kensington Oval yesterday, that's probably no bad thing. Start of the new over, Nurse goes in and Jason Roy has just hit this dead straight back over the bowler's head and brings up his hundred with a six. One hundred not out exactly, his second six. 13 balls as well, and it was dead straight back over the bowler's head. Jason Roy takes off his helmet, punches the air. England 164 for one as Jason Roy brings up 100. I'm John Norman in Barbados, where we await with interest to see whether it will be more of the same for the second ODI at the same ground on Friday. A match you can hear exclusively live on TalkSport 2. In the meantime, well, it's a special show today from a very special place. And if you love West Indies cricket, you don't want to go anywhere. We'll also hear from England's director of cricket, Ashley Giles, on a new appointment within the England coaching ranks. Uh, I do think the importance of getting someone who fits with our culture is really important and what we're doing. And, and there's a lot of culture work going on at the moment by the captains particularly and leading that through the players, which is great. Because if it's coming from there, you've, you've got a chance of it really embedding and avoiding the old-fashioned football model where, where you know, one guy comes in with his whole team and when it falls apart, the whole thing does. You know, we need to be looking at sustainable and long-lasting success and... And I think this could be the structure that gets us there. There's also news from the ECB about the 100 and the playing regulations that have been confirmed today. All this plus that trip into the history books here in Barbados. Take a listen, enjoy, and if you like what you hear, be sure to subscribe through your favourite podcast app and stay up to date with all the news from England's tour of the Caribbean. You're listening to Following On.
Well, excuse the sound of traffic. For the first bit of this uh, very special following on podcast, because myself and Jared have uh, come to a, a cultural hotspot very close to the Kensington Oval. Uh, we're a stone's throw from the ground. I'm not talking about Rihanna's house. I'm talking about the cricket legends of Barbados. Uh, one of the beautiful things about touring the world is the differences that you find in different cultures. Back home, museums are about diplodocuses and, uh, and science. Here in Barbados, museums are about cricket. Uh, Jared, I'm excited about what we're going to go and see right now. Um, yourself? Yeah, uh, different kind of dinosaurs, isn't it? And uh, I suppose, you know, didn't have to dig under the ground. These guys uh, roam the earth, you know. I mean, it's the, the great Bayesian cricketers you're talking about 30, 40, 50, 60, 70 years ago. And uh, it's such a special place. And of course they would have their own museum. I mean, they're legends. They are legends. Um, and we luckily, they still roam amongst us as well. The likes of uh, Gary Sobers, Wes Hall, uh, were at the, uh, the warm-up game ahead of the ODI series just a couple of days ago. But you know what? It's enough chat. Let's climb these steps. Let's get into this museum and just see what's what and what we can find out. Okay, we're inside, Jared. Now, sadly, we can't get to the main bit of the museum because, um, well, unfortunately, it's closed today, but that doesn't mean there's not enough to keep us entertained here. Now, most people who are listening to this uh, podcast will be enthused about West Indies cricket. We've, we've been brought up with it. We know a lot about it. But when you scratch behind the surface and when you look at some of the names involved, actually, um, what I think would be interesting is if maybe you, yourself, with a cricket historian, give us maybe a, an idea for some of those back home who weren't around in the 90s, weren't around before that, and don't actually know what these legends bring to the game. So um, I tell you what, as we're standing in one of the main halls here, we see some cutouts of a couple of uh, former fast bowlers, some old jackets from tours gone by, a conch shell just sitting on a podium, and pictures of teams um, from the past. If I throw a couple of names at you, give us an idea of the kind of players they were. Uh, I tell you what, let's start with a couple of bowlers. Um, two names that rolled off the tongue when we were at the Kensington Oval the Reverend Sir Wesley Hall and Sir Charlie Griffith. Yeah, well, Sir Charlie Griffith is basically the first ever proper quick bowler uh, in that uh, he was the first person who regularly hurt people. Obviously, we had body line before that, but Charlie was probably a couple of yards up on them. He's probably, if not the first guy to bowl 90 miles an hour, certainly the first guy to um, approach 90 miles an hour in cricket. And he, he shattered the back of Nari Contractor's skull. Um, which before that, you didn't get those sorts of injuries as much. And he was an incredible ball. He was also called for chucking, so there was some talk about his action, uh, but his partner was better. So Wes Hall's probably, well, he's in my top 10 favorite cricketers of all time. Wes Hall, if you ever get a chance, just go to YouTube and have a look. His action is just, it's poetry. He's got this weird wrist cock that he does. Like, he's almost like he's cocking a gun. There's a lot of club cricketers that use it now where they're sort of, it's almost like they're preparing their hand to come in and then when he gets to the actual crease, he just jumps and his arms go out to the side. It, it's just beautiful. And he was probably the first ever, if Charlie Griffith was the first ever proper fast bowler, uh, Wes Hall was probably the first ever, um, you know, gun um, West Indian all-round bowler. If you think, you know, if you want to go Curly Ambrose or Kima Roach or Shannon Gabriel, that sort of skillful, but also an enforcer. You know, he, he used to bowl spells. I think in the tie test, he bowled for pretty much the entire last session and was just as quick at the end. Incredible natural athlete, but also so smart and so skillful. Uh, just a brilliant cricketer. I tell you what, it's only caught our eye when we walked into this room. It's on a, a raised um, little shelf 
encased in protective glass. And what it is, or use the word protective, actually, it's exactly what it is. It's a protective box uh, from back in the day. And you can visibly see, and you're going to tweet out a picture of this a bit later. You can visibly see not only the dent, but the red mark from the ball, which has hit it square on. Yeah, and, and it says here that it's Charlie Griffith's protective box. I'm assuming it's a box that someone else was wearing and Charlie Griffith has hit it. But yeah, it's, I mean, it's, it's, it's lucky to still be in one piece. Um, I'm not sure what it's made of. It looks more like a shell, doesn't it, than, than an actual modern-day box. But yeah, um, if he did this to a piece of protective equipment, you can imagine what Nary Contractor's uh, skull looked like. I tell you what, I'm not sure that uh, he signed the skull in the same way that Charlie Griffiths has sign that protective box let's go over here actually there's something that you picked up on a little bit earlier when we're having a little look around and you know when we were in Sri Lanka cast your mind back to the start of the tour and we went to one of these events which are put on by the local um, tourism boards usually and in it we saw some dance we saw some uh, I think it's known as the peacock dance and we saw three or four women three or four men going through the routine and whilst I was watching them it actually brought to mind um, Akila Danajaya and bowlers like that. I thought to myself, I looked at the way that they were posed and it, it, was, it seemed to me, at least, to be a link between dance and spin bowling. Give the listeners a little idea of what we're looking at here because that actually draws upon the same kind of parallel between dance and, as a performance and actually the art of bowling. But in this regard, it's fast bowling. Yeah, well, it's called Art in Motion, and what you've got is a bunch of still shots from two um, legendary fast bowlers. The first one is Roy Gilchrist, who probably wasn't the best human being of all time, but uh, if, if Charlie Griffith wasn't the quickest bowler of, of that sort of period, then... Uh uh, Roy Gilchrist might have been. He's also, um, uh, unfortunately for him, known as the man who invented the beamer. But if, if you look at him, you can really see here. So every single frame, you, you've got the wind-up of a fast bowler. You've then got, he's got the Patrick Patterson leg, which for those, we don't see it very much. Marchant DeLang, I think, is the last guy we saw with this, who basically has the whole front leg up at the batsman. So if you're batting, all you can see at you is the spikes. Um, and then he's got the, the, the older style bowling action where you can also, you can see his back foot skidding along the turf because bowlers used to skid their foot before when it was a back foot no ball and then next to that you've got basically as I said before West Hall is almost like the modern the first modern bowler in many ways so skillful fast athletic um, you can actually see in the first picture his wrist is cocked what I was talking about before that sort of um, thing that you saw a, a lot of bowlers I think copied from Wes Hall I've, I'm not I've never seen it in any bowler before him then you've got his leap at the crease which is sort of more to do with what the um, front foot no ball brought about which is bowlers jumping into the crease and he's what a foot foot and a half in the air his arm is out sideways it must have just been an incredible sight to have him in front of you and then you have the big loping front step that we see of, of fast bowlers these days you know and uh, that the leg you see his leg is actually perfectly straight at the front which means you know he's getting all the power through the ball which is why he bowled really fast and was also you know you can see his height he's still massively above above the stumps so it, you know it's it says art and motion on it and that's what it is and um, it's two completely different um bowling actions but both men who bowled just really really fast well i tell you what i couldn't think of anything uh, that is uh, describes less aptly uh, the guy that we're going to hear from now his action was described as more of a wheelie bin uh, than art in motion but the director of cricket ashley giles has uh, caught up with andrew mckenna well ashley you've been in the role a few weeks now second trip out to the caribbean how's those first few weeks been oh, it's been pretty busy um, there's some pretty big decisions coming in some pretty big tournaments as well so there's been a a, a lot to think about um, 
but really enjoyable as well. Yeah, I've spent a week in Antigua, which I think was enough, and I'm out here for another week in Barbados and Grenada. Yeah, so it's a good chance to catch up with everyone, find out what's going on, on the ground, be easy for me to, with all these decisions and thinking, just get stuck at Lords. But um, it's important I'm out here and I, and I see our guys as well. So uh, looking forward to the next few days. Is the job description now that you've seen it what you imagined it to be on bay? Because quite a lot of jobs, you know, you, you see the description laid down, then you actually start it, you think, ah, OK, that'll work slightly differently. No, I think it's pretty much what I thought, which, which is quite broad. <laughs> you know, it's, it's pretty much anything to do with England men's cricket and the pathway is, is my responsibility. So that is broad, but, but I'm looking forward to that bit. You know, if you, if you look at it in, in sort of finer detail, I, I have a certain amount of direct reports um, probably about six or seven so the big part of my, my workload is managing those guys but it just so happens at the moment we've, we've got some big decisions coming around coaching I guess around perhaps our, our pathway and, and how we make that function a bit better but um, you know it's exciting times Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. The following on podcast is proudly sponsored by Barbados Tourism. If your passion for travel is on par with your passion for cricket, then I have some excellent news. The ICC Men's Cricket T20 World Cup Final is being hosted in Barbados this June, which makes it the perfect destination for your summer holidays this year. To make the most of your trip, you can also experience eight matches from the series in Barbados, including... England against Scotland and England against Australia. In under a month's time, you could be spending your days exploring the vibrant streets of Bridgetown, drinking rum in the sunshine and experiencing exotic Bayesian delicacies. In the culinary capital of the Caribbean, there truly is something for everyone. There's no need to wait a second longer. Head to visitbarbados.org forward slash cricket today to book the trip of a lifetime to Barbados, truly the best place to be a cricket fan. You mentioned the coaching situation. I mean, Andrew Strauss and Andy Flower before you have put an awful lot of stuff in place, but they've left you one heck of a decision to make it would appear yeah. as England are going to need a new head coach soon. Yeah, that's right. Um, yeah, so that, that has been very much front and centre. Um, and I guess I've started to, to crystallise my, my thinking on, on what that future structure looks like and... and I've said before, I think, I think I'm think i probably 99.9% sure that, that one man should do the top job. I'm not a particular big fan of, of splitting that role, and I think that's important because you get consistency in, in voice, in the culture. That guy leads on those things and leads on discipline. And then underneath him, I'd see a, a flatter structure of perhaps 
three assistants, if you like, who, with, with different specialities. Uh, and I think that, that will help share the burden as well on, on if you had just one assistant. Those guys can all input and, and output, if you like, down below them. So the overall makeup of that team is, is also very important in that you know, with one guy, you, it's very difficult to imagine you're going to get someone who can suit all occasions. And so the people you put around him are important in, in terms of their styles and, and how they communicate and, and what they offer to that overall group. So that's sort of where I am. Whether we have specialists, you know, in that three underneath who, who come in and come out um, is yet to really be confirmed in my own mind, but that could, could well be the way we go. Just on the head coach, if you thought about the role and the, the type of role it's going to be, yeah. by therefore, have you thought about the person already? Do you have an idea of who you would see in the role? No, I mean, there's a number of candidates that we can all um, roll out, if you like, and, and, and they already are being. Um, I guess if we decide to go with one, then then some guys might not have any interest in, in doing that. But uh, I do think the importance of getting someone who fits with our culture is really important and what we're doing. And, and there's a lot of culture work going on at the moment by um, by the captains particularly and leading that through the players, which is great. Because if it's coming from there, you've, you've got a chance of it really embedding um, and avoiding the old-fashioned football model where, where you know one guy comes in with his whole team and when it falls apart, the whole thing does. You know, we need to be looking at sustainable and long-lasting success, and and I think this could be the structure that gets us there. Which takes us on to the assistance. Obviously, the announcement a couple of days ago, Paul Farbrace will join Warwickshire. One of the, the successes, I suppose, of this England one-day squad at the moment is solidity, continuity. How much of a blow is it, therefore, to lose a man who's been part of the coaching setup for five years, just a handful of months before the World Cup? Farbs hasn't hidden the fact that... Um, He's been looking around opportunities over the last 12, 18 months. Uh, he also didn't hide the fact at all that he didn't think he was the man when I spoke to him when I was in Antigua to, to do the head job and whether he could, he could go on and do another cycle of four years on the road. So he's been looking at other opportunities. We know Trev's leaving at the end of the summer. Um, and so we felt better now to almost stagger or stage that, those departures. Um, and in Paul Collingwood, who steps up into that World Cup management group, I think we've got... Uh, a very able assistant there and someone with a lot of experience so you know Fabs has been a, an excellent servant to this team um, it was a tough call and it was a call I didn't make on my own I made in, in consultation with others but um, you know I think we're all happy now and we'll we wish him all the best in his new job he's still going to be around isn't he I mean he's he, he'll now have a role as one of our very important um, directors of cricket or sport director as he is at Warwickshire and someone that I'm sure we can we can fall back on if, if we need a little bit of help and advice. On the Paul Collingwood appointment, it's not a like for like. He's not simply going to slot in. So how will it work with Paul? Um, as I discussed, really, I mean, the way I see the future structure, I see three guys in a flat structure underneath the top man. And that's what I like to happen during that World Cup campaign. I've spoken to, to Morgs about it. And I, and I think, actually, that would, would also aid... Um, Trev having different people to speak to um, and for those guys to to share the responsibilities that communication onwards from there so and the planning as well for such a big tournament so I, I'm happy with that I mean they the guys will be in that group as we see it right now for the World Cup so you've got Paul Collingwood you've got Graham Thorpe and you've got Chris Silverwood lots of experience um, lots of different skills and they have different management styles and I think that's really important Talk about starting with a bang, though. World Cup and Ashes inside your first six months. 
it's almost career defining before you even got going yeah a lot i mean it yeah i mean some will say won't they if you if you win it, it wasn't you if you lose it it's all your fault but i have actually haven't of course i'm thinking about the tournaments and the planning that goes towards it and everything else but the the glory aspects of it couldn't be furthest from my mind it, it it's a for me right now it's about making sure we we are planned properly we're prepared properly and we take away as much interference as we can from from the players and the coaches heading to that tournament um i guess the the bigger picture stuff has been more on my mind but um i did see a video actually uh, the other day of ecb one of our our sort of prep videos for for world cup and and it did bring the hairs up on the back of my neck actually it's it, it will be exciting when we get there um, but we need to make sure we get there in the right order. Andrew McKenna catching up with Director of Cricket Ashley Charles. Actually, before we get back to uh, reminiscing and, and actually educating as well, this has been a fascinating uh, half an hour or so. For me, you know, we speak about cricket a lot. We watch a lot of cricket. The other day after the cricket, we went home and we watched cricket. We watched New Zealand, Bangladesh. That's just what we do. I haven't spoken too much about the 100. We'll talk about it at length at another date, but with the news today that, yes, it is going to be called the 100. Uh, yes, it's 100 balls. It's going to be 10 balls at one end before a change of over, and that's going to be split per bowler to five or 10 deliveries. Um, your thoughts from a very general perspective as we still yet to know what the team makeup's going to be, how the draft's going to work, uh, or in fact, how it's going to work from a scheduling perspective. I don't see how it's any better than 120 balls and I don't see how it's going to be any easier for any child to understand it. Um, but I like some of the things that are quite interesting. I like that it is a hybrid of baseball and cricket. Like realistically, let's not, let's not kid ourselves. That's partly why T20 was invented. That's what it's become on its own. So I like the idea of having a guy who bowls 10 balls at the start of the game because he's the, he's the specialist new ball bowler. Um, but I, don't, I still don't understand if you're going to do it. If you want to save as much time and make the game as quickly as possible, why wouldn't you have 50 balls at one end and 50, and then swap and have 50 balls at the other end? That means your fielders are... I think they've missed little things that could make the fielding better, for instance. Um, but as, as an overall concept, it'll be interesting to see how much cricket fans actually like it. But it's not designed for cricket fans. It's designed for non-cricket fans. I just worried that they're making a very complicated sport actually more complicated while pretending they're making it less complicated. Let's get back to the to the real cricket. Here's one for you, because you know it's when you walk around little museums like this, it's the it's the little facts, isn't it? You came in here. I'm not sure, apart from a protective box or two, whether you've learned anything more. But you're a cricket historian. For me, I have learned a couple of things here, and it's those little little nuggets of of information that just leap out. Here's a picture in front of us here, the Kensington Oval, which is where we're going to be for the second ODI. It's actually a complete cricket ground, isn't it? And it, it isn't anymore. In some ways, you'd have to say that's a better ground than what you've got now. Yeah, well, it, it's interesting, isn't it? Because people like open banks at cricket grounds, and yet you, it wasn't a place that had an open bank before. So we made it more into a cricket ground than it was before. But but yeah, I mean, it, it's a proper cricket ground, I think you would say, especially an English-style one, in that it's basically a hodgepodge of, what, about 13 different, <laughs> you know, like in Australia, we're, we're used to big stands, but but proper cricket grounds in England are, you know, 15 different little stands all joined together, none of which really make any sense not all of which are facing directly at the cricket at times and that's what the old Kensington Oval looked like Hey let's talk about Gary Sobers because you can't come to a museum and I say that as Malcolm Marshall's just peering at me uh, from a cardboard cutout we could talk about him as well it's the little facts so everyone knows that he broke the world record for the highest score right 365 
What I didn't know was it was his first test century. Yeah, he, he'd actually really struggled in test cricket. I think he batted everywhere by that point. They, they tried him up the order, they tried him in the middle. Um, and ever, I think, you know, when you have a talent like that, who is, it's a bit like, you know, if you want to look at modern day players, it's a bit like Callis or Flintoff or, you know, those sorts of players have it with Stokes as now. You're just like, we'll just give him some time. And when he finally came good... He did. And he's not the only one as well. I mean, Bob Simpson, I think his first test century was a triple century as well. And we had one recently, didn't we? With Karunaya? Yeah. So, so it has happened before. But the fact that it was a world record as well is phenomenal. But he, he, you know, at that point, he was probably in the team as much for his bowling. And they were hoping his batting would come through. And then bang. <laughs> well, another thing that I knew about Sobers, but maybe I didn't know as well, was I knew he could bowl fast uh, and I knew he could bowl spin. But actually, he bowled two types of spin. You didn't know that? Yeah. Um, I think uh, left arm orthodox was probably his strongest suit, but he, look, he could do everything. You know, he probably could have kept at an international level as well. I mean, we're, we're talking about Sobers. There's also, you know, and there's, not as, there's so many legends in Barbados that the museum doesn't have enough chance to have a different room for each player. But you've got the, you know, Frank Worrell, um, uh, Walker and Weeks, you know, incredible players. I'm pretty sure at least two of them, if not three of them, were delivered by the same midwife. It tells you about the ridiculous nature of, of, of how many talented cricketers there are. And Sobers is just, you know, it, it's hard to understand how good Sobers was. But I was, I, was having, I was having a fight with Matty Pryor recently about Sobers versus Callas. And I said, look, they're both champions and they both deserve to be probably in the top five players of all time based on what they could do to a cricket game with bat or ball. Uh, but Callas bowled 20 overs a game and Sobers bowled 40 overs a game. Also, he opened the new bowling at times with... West Hall, is that right? Yeah, he would have, he would have bowled with West Hall. Um, he would have bowled into the wind as well. Um, he wouldn't have been able to pick his end. He would have had to, you know, West Hall would have picked the end. So, you know, just the, the ridiculous nature of, of Barbados cricket and, you know, the fact that you mentioned Malcolm Marshall once and there's so many other guys that we could go through as well. Just the amount of talent that, that a small island can come up with. And let's remember, it's not that much bigger an island than Solution is and yet Solutions only have three international cricketers let alone I think one test cricketer so just phenomenal that you would have one legend from Barbados and instead you've got you know 20. Who's your favorite West Indian batsman? I was always a Richie Richardson man he was at the right age for me. Um, Who's your favorite West Indies bowler? I never saw him but probably was Hall. Um, <laughs> Who's your favorite West Indies all-rounder? It's hard to go past Sobers there. Oh, wait, can I say Walcott? Walcott was a wicketkeeper and was... He's a bit like Kumar Sankar. I think you're being too, too cute. It's got to be Sobers, isn't it? Walcott was so... Walcott's record as a wicketkeeper... So he's a bit like Kumar Sankar. He would have averaged over 60 as a batsman had he not kept. Just incredible as well. But the fact that you're saying it has to be Sobers just tells you how ridiculous this island is. If you ask cricketers mm-hmm. who is your favourite, very often they do say this man, don't they? Malcolm Marshall. Yeah, and, you know, the fact he was a short, fast bowler from a, from a place that didn't have that. I mean, Andy Roberts is not particularly tall, but I think Andy would still have been a little bit taller than Malcolm Marshall. And, you know, if you look at all the other bowlers that were not even great, they, they were big, strong guys. And you have Malcolm Marshall, who, who was quick, skillful, and probably pound for pound um, the best fast bowler we've ever had. Well, let's, uh, let's leave it there. We could go on. And on and on. If only that second floor was open, actually. I mean, it's, uh, it is a ridiculous state of affairs. I think 46 legends are, are either commemorated or respected or uh, flagged up for their, uh, the effect they've brought, not just to this island, but to world cricket. Uh, maybe we'll have to come back. Hopefully, uh, 
Uh, Talks will get another tour of the Caribbean. We should be so lucky. Uh, that pretty much is all we've got time for today, though. Following on, we'll return tomorrow after the third ODI when the current crop of heroes um, will take centre stage. Who knows? Maybe Jason Holder or some of the other Barbadians will be in this museum one day as well. To never miss an episode, be sure to subscribe either on Apple Podcasts or your favourite podcast app. See you tomorrow. The following on podcast is proudly sponsored by Barbados Tourism. And this is your gentle reminder that Barbados is the best place to be a cricket fan. With eight matches from the ICC Men's T20 Cricket World Cup Series taking place in Barbados this summer, including the final, you can experience the summer of a lifetime by booking today. Aside from immersing in world-class cricket in the sunshine, Barbados is the dream destination for all travel enthusiasts. It is where adventure meets paradise, the culinary capital of the Caribbean, and better still, the birthplace of rum. If you're keen to unite with cricket fans across the globe for what is set to be an unforgettable summer, then head to visitbarbados.org forward slash cricket today. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.